from Variety. Celebrating more than 118 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. It didn't take long for America Ferreira to find the personal connection to the speech her character gives in the box office smash Barbie. I am a person as, you know, flawed and as challenged personally and externally as anyone else. And for me, I I am so proud of myself. And they're not for any of the reasons that you'll ever see on screen. And they're not for any of the reasons that you'll think from the outside. I'm proud of myself that I have shown up to grow and to really find a sense of inner worth and validation. That is not anything that comes to you from the outside. You have to show up for that work. I'm Michael Schneider, and on this episode of the award-winning Variety Award Circuit Podcast, we talk to America Ferreira to discuss her big year, including two outstanding performances in Barbie and Dumb Money. Also on this episode, Jack Black talks about the Super Mario Brothers movie. All that in the latest edition of The Roundtable is next on this edition of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Why, hello, everybody. I'm Variety TV editor Michael Schneider, along with Janelle Riley and Clayton Davis. Hi, Mr. Uh, Mike. Hello, hello. Uh, Jazz is out this week, uh, but she'll be back next week. Um, so kicking off uh, with the sad news uh, that we got of Norman Lear's passing at the ripe age of 101. Wow. Uh, passed away, obviously, from natural causes. Uh, but, you know, what can be said? I, I wrote a tribute earlier today. In it was Variety. beautiful, by the way, Mike. Very beautiful. Yeah, everyone's Very beautiful oh. tribute. Thanks. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, I, had I, mean, the... grew, I mean, you and him grew up together. I mean, yes, that was yes. that was like, you know, the guy from the street that you used to know. Yeah, we we both were overseas at, uh, during WW2 together, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, so, some of those bombing uh, expeditions. Yep. It was uh, it was great. But uh, yeah, no, uh, got a chance to really get to know him the past couple of years, uh, you know, just because he got so active with the combination of the One Day at a Time reboot uh, remake that uh, he was an executive producer on. And of course, all the live in front of a studio audience specials that he did with Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, we did a big cover story with him in 2019. Uh, we gave him an award at uh, one of our showrunners dinner events uh, before the Emmys that he came to. Uh, did a number of panels with him over the years. I mean, that was the thing that was so amazing was the dude was pushing 100 and he was he had a better social life than all of us. I mean, he was out and That's about. That's not saying much, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have a very low bar. That's I true. Saying, all, all the OGs from that from those days, I mean, him and Betty White, man, till the till the at last possible second, were just living life like it was yeah. spring break. No, there, there is something about that group. I mean, the the knock on wood folks who are still with us, like Mel Brooks and mm. Dick Van Dyke. Uh, you know, we lost Carl Reiner recently, but he was around obviously until uh, you know uh, in, into his you know nearly a hundred as well. So yeah, Carol Burnett is ninety, right? Ninety one yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah, you know, they're all like kicking. Yeah, Mel Brooks uh, getting an Oscar this season, by the way. Oh, honorary. Yes. Yeah. So I was like, wait, yes. what? I was like, I, I was like wait. I will make more? it happen for history. I was, history like, I, I was, I was like, I missed that one. Don't yes, you remember him in Barbie? Yeah. He, he, I'm surprised they didn't just try to like insert an older Ken. That would have been actually awesome. By <laughs> the way, that'll be the sequel. Yeah. yeah. Good, Joe. Oh, no. It was a side note. And then I realized it was inappropriate because we're doing this beautiful tribute to Norman Lee. Oh, yeah. I forget I said anything. <laughs> no, no, Norman, uh, I mean, listen, like, you know, good times, all in the family. Sanford and Son, the like, Jeffersons, the Jeffersons, I mean, the list like, goes on and on. 
Yeah, I mean, it, he made. I mean, listen, they, those shows were way before my time, and I found them. Like you know that big ups to Nick at Night. You know that there was really in its heyday. You know that was was able to show a lot of those, but you know he made like some serious subjects funny. He made uh, life funny. You know he just like he knew how to capture um, the a demographic of people on television that we all knew, but we never saw on television that were like a little rough around the edges. And it was like cool to hang out with them for 30 minutes. Yeah. There there were, there was television before Norman Lear and after Norman Mm -hmm. Lear. When you think about the sitcoms that existed before on the family that would, would not address heavy subjects that, that really didn't reflect real life. And then along comes this show that's real and raw, sometimes uncomfortable, just like real life and, mm-hmm. and what that spawned. And, and when you talk to today's showrunners, uh, you know, the Chuck Lorre's of the world, uh, uh, you know, Kenya Barris, all those folks, you know, they all owe a debt of gratitude and they're all ins- inspired by what Norman Lear did back in the day. And, and that's what everyone's been chasing. You know, Chuck Lorre with mom, uh, Kenya with blackish, uh, Phil Rosenthal with uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. Uh, you know the the list goes on, uh, and and there have been some great shows that have come out of just people being inspired by Norman Lear. Let alone the actual Norman Lear shows. And you know, looking at the the Emmys, people at least immediately realize, oh, this is a revolution. I mean, that first year that All in the Family was on the air, it won the Emmy for Outstanding Comedy. It also won for Outstanding New Series, an Emmy that doesn't exist anymore. That should. Back in the day, won. it won for comedy the following year as well. And and then also in 73, so three years in a row. Uh, and then it took it took a couple of decades uh, for, for the Emmys to, to reward Mr. Lear again, but he became uh, the oldest Emmy winner in history. Uh, winning most recently in 2020 for uh, one of the live in front of a studio audience uh, shows. But and I, what I love a lot about, and I think this really, like he's gotten a lot of honorary and, you know, lifetime achievement awards over the years, but I just love a guy that exists that like, you know, he gets honored by Peabody Emmys and even the national Hispanic media coalition gave him a media icon award because he transcended all yeah yeah you know all, all cultures and and generations i just think that was it was it was really it was really cool to have him for the time that we had him and it's like and i in this time where physical media seems to be coming up a lot in conversations um and then streaming services are like letting go of certain things if it's if you could find all these shows anywhere like have yourself a norman lear weekend i think that would actually be a really Good time, time well spent, and make good, sure good you times. watch it. Good, good times. times. See what I did there? Um, yeah. Also, watch it in the context of the times, too, because, like, listen, it's one of those things, like, I, in our modern day, like, the office is impenetrable in terms of, like, you know, you acknowledge that you can never make the the office today. You can't make All in the Family today the way they made it that, back then, but it's still great to watch and, and rewatch. Uh, and bringing it to film, look how uh, I'll bring you guys into the the conversation <laughs> too. I mean, don't forget, without Norman Lear, you wouldn't have had The Princess Bride. He was instrumental in in producing that, getting the money to have that made. That's you know he he is his you know his old buddy Meathead, uh, Meathead Rob Reiner, yeah. <laughs> in in making that film come true and and really helping us uh, you know cement Rob Reiner uh, in the film space. 
obviously he'd done other films too, but, uh, you know, Princess Bride is still one of his, uh, seminal achievements and yeah, it's, uh, you know, he was a businessman later on, uh, you know, his production company went on to make more great television shows like facts mm. of life. Oh, uh, you facts know, of, and, that's the one that really, for me, it's home. I could just, just cause I was just that age to like be a Joe or a Blair. I was obviously a Joe. <laughs> My favorite joke in, uh, uh, I think Kumail Nanjiani says, I think it, I think it might be in the big sick. He was like, or somewhere else, he was like, Joe would break you in half because I was like, I would date Joe, like Joe would kill you. <laughs> I always think that's always the funniest joke. But yeah, that, that is actually a, a good, actually, the Princess Bride, um, Jessica's best friend is her, that's her favorite movie of all time. And it was one of those that just, uh, flew enough under the radar at the time. Yeah, just, at the time? No, I mean, it yeah, was but, not a hit. Which are the best movies later yep. on when you when it gets that rediscovery uh, phase and it's and it's awesome. The only good thing that came from the Emmys pushing to January is now we'll get a really heartfelt Norman Lear tribute. Well, yeah. I think he would have gotten a heartfelt tribute whenever because uh, yeah. thinking about this too, like how many people work that long in this business and you can't find anyone to say anything remotely negative about them? Yeah. Yeah, but I think what well, you're you're right, Clayton. That you know, had we waited until next September for for a trivia, would have felt a little old like at that point. Nine months but, ago, yeah. But but now that in a couple of weeks we'll have a moment to really pay pay our respects, and and that'll be a, a big part of that Emmy show. That's going to be big, and that that'll yeah. be important. I'm sure SAG will do something too. I would imagine that they. I, so. I mean, I think all the all the shows, the WGA. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah you really do. You're w- saying he knew his timing. Yeah, <laughs> he was like, "I want to get right into the award cycle and really make sure everyone uh, does." Comedy right. is timing. R.I.P. Man, he's yeah. Again, the, the the guy was he was working. He was still going to his office. He was working right up until the end, uh, and and that is just incredible. So so again, shout out to the one and only Norman Lear. So and news that isn't uh, half of uh, important. We have some awards that were back, now back to the awards. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, speaking of award, no one's ever. I mean, listen, we haven't had a hundred year old Oscar winner yet. I mean, we were, we might have our oldest nominee ever in history this year. If Anne Roth gets nominated for costumes. Oh, wow. For, for uh, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. She's 92. Oh, wow. Well, that's pretty close. Spring, spring chicken. I mean, we're getting there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, today, time of recording, uh, National Board of Review, another big W for Killers of the Flower Moon. And not even just a big W. For the first time in maybe, I mean, I, I did like a very like scanned look at National Board of Review's history. They usually love to spread the wealth. They'll go. Right. Like, uh, so they really went all in. The top eight categories are represented by three movies. Crazy which is I have not seen before. And by the way, looks like th- usually they have a, like a really out there choice. Even someone that you're like, listen, they're not really probably going to get nominated, but it's their first stop on the circuit. Last year, that was Janelle Monet and Glass Onion. Like she was, gr- she was very good, and a lot of us were just like, I don't think there's room for her. But Killers winning film director uh, Lily Gladstone, best actress, her third win. I mean, she is like on a sweep right now. And then, uh, shared Rodrigo Prieto with, uh, Barbie, the cinematographer for both films as, is a really big statement. And for a three and a half hour movie, 
that people keep trying to convince us. I'm sure, Janelle, you've had some of these conversations. Like, I don't think people like Killers of Flower Moon. I think it's too long. Well, uh, show me where that's... I mean, listen, I, do I think it's going to be hard for some people to watch? Sure. But as a whole, we're talking about... You just need 10,000 people to try to watch it. And I think when you're Scorsese, you start on third base. They're going to watch your movie before they fill out a ballot. Yeah, no, it's, I've actually been impressed. I remember when Power of the Dog came out a couple of years ago thinking, I know critics will like it, but I don't know how people will feel. <laughs> not, not that yeah. critics aren't people. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And then it, it started to like place at festival awards or, you know, or be runner up or something. And I've never heard, I've actually don't think I've ever heard anyone say they were put off by the length or worried about the length. Now, admittedly, I haven't gone home to Oregon and talked to my <laughs> friends from high school, but like people just sort of, they they know what they're in for and there's not a minute wasted in that movie. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, Killers is, uh, is in the hunt. So, uh, you know, it's, it's un, undisputed that it's, you can't argue that it's not in the conversation right now as a Scorsese, a good challenger to, to Oppenheimer, the presumed front runner. Um, and then acting awards, we have Paul Giamatti. Good for Paul. For the whole- a, yeah, I just did a career conversation with him the other day. And when it posts, everyone has to watch it because he told the craziest story about the first time he ever auditioned. And it was for America's Most Wanted. And it was playing a bank robbing pedophile. And he was so sure he would get it because he looked exactly like the guy. <laughs> and he did not get it. <laughs> I just interviewed him uh, as well for an upcoming episode, and he is precious cargo. Like yeah, we, 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 like first of all, I New Yorker, New Yorker. Him. Yeah, I mean, New Yorker. Like I'm always gonna go down fighting for anyone from there. But like, just uh, humble and like we even like he's he's just he's special. And I think especially him and Davine. Davine said on, on our episode a few weeks ago, she said her and Paul spoke the same language. Mm-hmm. And and you can see it like it's not the Yale thing. It's more than that. It was just like an understanding of one another. He really, really gives big ups to Davine and Dominic Sessa, um, who I think they found like on the street. Weirdly, <laughs> both Independent Spirit Award nominated, but not Paul. Yeah, because that's that's what we'll get. We'll get indie spirits for uh, a sec, but then poor things. Mark Ruffalo, that's my man. I'm, He's I'm, great. So Willem Dafoe. Uh, they're, 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 I think uh, Ruffalo. I would think is going to be such an interesting uh, pairing next to Ryan Gosling for Barbie because they're both doing comedy, but one is like Ryan Gosling does is brilliant in Barbie. But we know that Oscar doesn't do that type of comedy in terms of like giving it a statue. I've seen the Mark Ruffalo comedy get statuettes right. before. So Other it's than interesting. Kevin to Klein, see. I don't think they have. Yeah, they don't. And Kevin Klein was like a miracle at the time. He wasn't supposed he really to win. Was. He wasn't supposed to win. He he like he pulled out of nowhere. Uh, and that movie got like into uh, Best Picture. So R- Ruffalo, it's good. I think it's going to be really contingent on if Defoe gets in with him. That's oh, I think the, he is. Yeah. And, and that and that's the case, then I think they're because then you're talking about two veterans on their third and fourth, no, third and fifth. That'll be Defoe's fifth nomination. Like they both have the narrative of overdue, you know, who who do they give it to? And then that gets tricky. That's why I keep saying I think people are underestimating Willem Defoe. Mm. 
And he's then, also uh, yeah. and he's also what? He's also Willem Dafoe. He's also Willem Dafoe. Uh, and then Poor Things won adapted screenplay. Holdovers also won or, or original screenplay. I mean, three awards for Holdovers, two for Poor Things, four for Killers. And Spider-Man, interestingly, is the animated feature winner of the year. But Boy and the Heron is one of the 10 best pictures of the year. Yeah. Explain that to me. I don't know. But, you know, that's where we are. And that's National Board of Review. Uh, and then to bring Mike into it so he can talk about something, Critics' Choice weighed in with some of their nominations for their 28th annual ceremony. The Morning Show. Yeah. Go figure. No, I mean, I'm not surprised at all. Can, can I? I This is a weird comparison. I feel like The Morning Show is becoming our drama version of Shit's Creek. Like, it's getting discovered later. And I think by the time we get to season five or six, I think people are just going to like, like I, I don't know how many people have watched The Morning Show. I don't know how much. Like, obviously, it's well. Like, I mean, it's season. It won a major SAG award, and Billy no, no, sure, no, and, and Billy Crudup won. Yeah, but I, I, I mean, or have stayed with it. I mean, I just think, but, I think there's but no. There's you're a, you're right because there's a momentum not, build happening right now. It, it's sometimes because Apple TV isn't uh, as widely distributed around the country. It takes a while. You know, Ted Lasso managed to to pull that off, but it's hard to get attention on an Apple TV show since not as many people subscribe. And I and I call that the after Ted Lasso effect. Um, like you know, I think people when Ted Lasso came back, they would sign up for Apple. So then they binge it, and then you have to then they ask themselves, okay, so what else am I going to watch on this? And I think they go to Morning Show and Mythic Quest. I think those and are the two. Shrinking. Shows. Well, shrinking, shrinking. I don't think it's like in that first two. I they should. It's the best show of, of 2023. But it, it is like that. I think their natural go to is like, oh, I know Rob uh, McElhaney and McElhaney, yeah. and I know Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon. So I'm gonna go watch those. Right, and also they're starting to hear people. I mean, the buzz, the the noise uh, is you're hearing a lot more about morning show, especially in season three, and and just how much fun it is. I mean, yeah. it's. You know, it, it's just a fun show to watch. Uh, I, you know, I know a lot of people watch it because they love to just scream at their TV. Like, <laughs> what are you doing now? But that's kind of the fun of watching the morning show. And and uh, this was a, a fantastic season with a cast that just is, you know, beyond just Jen and, and Reese. I mean, to, to bring on John Hamm this season. And then, of course, we were talking before about how Greta Lee uh, is the, the real star of this season. Yeah. I, I told Mike this story. You know, I have to tell you this story and everyone that's listening. My favorite moment this week, by far, is at the Critics' Choice Celebration of Black AAPI and Latino cinema and television. And I saw Greta Lee from across the room, so I went over to her to give her a hug. And I gave her a hug. It was right next to Jessica Williams, who then I also gave a hug to. And then Greta said, "I'm." I came over here because I wanted to say hi to you, Jessica. And then Jessica said, actually... Can I introduce you to my mom? Because my mom's obsessed with you on the morning oh. show. And then took a picture of Greta Lee and Jessica Williams' mom. And it like was the most heartwarming thing I've ever seen in my life. And now I want a Greta Lee, Jessica Williams comedy yeah. somewhere, show, movie, whatever. I need those two working. I, I I would watch that. I definitely Road trip would watch movie. That. Let's get it. Yeah. Let's do it. Hangover four. How I, I tell people all the time, like, you know, yes, she's dramatic and brilliant in, in past lives. Greta Lee might be one of the top 10 most fun people i've met in some time she is hilarious she makes yeah. me laugh all the time 
Russian doll. She's hilarious. Yeah. But like just as a person, and and we just need to put her in comedies and just say run. (laughs) <laughs> go it's it's really it's really well done but yeah they went big on morning show uh gave some love to star trek succession on its way uh, out the door loki did very well uh interesting because i don't know how that's going to do overall emmys next year so that's just like a good like uh place barometer yeah barometer yeah because that's you know all those disney shows are always uh interesting to to think about but uh we we did our farewells to barry uh marvelous mrs mazel the comedy lineup was very traditional but i would say traditional in the way what this is what i thought comedy series would look like at the emmys this past year abbott elementary barry the bear mazel poker face reservation dog shrinking what we do in the shadows it almost felt like critics choice as a whole like went out for vengeance and said like we we're going to give you the right lineup that it should have been so that kind of felt like like that but reservation dog i'm just happy that it gets notice anywhere because yeah. yeah 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 still still hoping for that final season to show up at the emmys next year oh and then uh they nominated this i never heard of her meryl streep or something for this show called only murder oh she's good you should check she's her good. out she's good? Yeah. Oh, i'm gonna yeah. check her out yeah uh like Mer- by, by the way like i feel like it's it's so weird to say but like she's gonna win an emmy next year right like i don't know everyone said that about big little lies and it that's, that's true. Yeah, we got to be careful, especially with a category that stacked. But, but the second season of Big Little Lies wasn't really that good. But people loved her. But people loved Only Murders. That's a, that's yeah. a good season. That's a good it's, season. It's uh, you know, don't never count out the Streep effect. But at the yeah. same time, these 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 competitions are stacked. So. Yeah. My my saying is, doubt Merrill at your own peril. Boom. There you go. Drop in Mike. That and then uh and then, and then I know we're both are we both are. Um and then let's uh we can combine both our worlds, indie spirits. Oh yes, the old do... the old question of what's an indie TV show? They don't what is it an ABC <laughs> show this time out. <laughs> what 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 is an indie TV show? Like have they given a number or are they just like no no, no. no. they it's it's the smell test they're basically like this smells like it's indie but <laughs> what does that even mean anymore because any tv show i guess smells indie and like i'm saying they they even like nominated a broadcast network uh, show this time but uh maybe that is more indie because broadcast network shows are cheaper than streaming shows for the most <laughs> part production wise so who I, knows? I, was, I was like are, are we looking for like three million dollars an episode kind of like cheap like what are we like what are we doing here like it, it's it, whatever but nonetheless uh new non-scripted uh docuseries that's you know we said everyone knew dear mom already but we saw the first stops for like wrestlers and uh deadlock new scripted series which I always think is weird because they combine the limited series in there too. So it's like kind of like their one stop forever, but beef is there. Great. I'm a Virgo uh, dreaming whilst black jury duty and slip. Very yeah. disappointed by the way. Critics did not do jury duty. That was, oh, crim- that was criminal. I'm surprised. Criminal. But... Did they nominate Marsden or am I wrong? Ooh, good question. I don't know if it's up my head. And survey says. Yes, we did. Do, yeah. Okay, good, good, good. I thought so, but I'm also often wrong about these things. I I thought we were actually going to do Ronald. I really, I was so hopeful for it. 
Because that would actually would have been awesome. Is it a performance though? If he's just, I mean, like it's such he's, a fine line. Yeah, I, it, it is. Serving. Oh, by the way, just a quick side note before I forget. Io Itabiri is it Itabiri, right? So you pronounce it. Uh, first lead nomination for the Bears over at Critics Choice, also because she's made the switch, and I think that's the right call. Yeah. I don't um, think- yeah, and, and then and then lead performance uh TV wise got Emma Corrin, which feels good on an Emmy run next year. Uh people really, really like a murder at the end of the world. I haven't watched yeah. it yet. It's great. I it's have great. watched it. It's fantastic. I love their work and I just haven't been able to. And then uh Dominique Fishback, Betty Gilpin, Jarell Jerome, who I love, and I just wanted to keep working. Yeah, so, so good. Sounds like kid, man. Uh Zoe Lister Jones, Pell Bell Powley, Bella Ramsey. Ramon Rodriguez and Ali Wong and Stephen Young and Stephen. Oh, hey. oh you've different Janelle, Janelle's mom. Janelle's like, mom is just tuned out. She's like, now my mom's got to like uh, figure out where she can watch the Critics' Choice Awards. Yeah. I mean, um, it's YouTube. <laughs> no, this, was, this was a great mix. I love that Betty Gilpin is there since again, I feel like Mrs. Davis just did not get the uh, attention yeah. that it deserved. So that that's great. It's a, it's a good group. And then, interestingly, supporting performance in a new script series, Murray Bartlett for The Last of Us. They don't do guests. So they were like, Murray Bartlett, your one episode was enough. Here you go. I like that. I don't mind it. Yeah, no, totally. It's not about the size. It's quality. But but Nick Offerman was just as good. Well, he is. He's nominated, too. He's there, too. Yeah. 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 The the last read, it goes down for order. Uh, Billy Eilish for Swarm, which, interesting. Jack Farthing for Rain Dogs. Nick Offerman for The Last of Us. Adina Porter, The Changing. Lewis Pullman for Lessons in Chemistry. Benny Safdie for The Curse, which I have not watched yet. I keep hearing good stuff about that, too. My favorite nom of the day. Luke Tenney and Shrinking. Yeah, oh, that's, a, that's so a nice. That's a nice nom. Oh so my god! I, I forgave everything they did wrong <laughs> with that one thing they did right because Luke Tenney is brilliant on that show. Olivia Washington for I'm a Virgo, and then ah, uh, uh, my, my my Biffle, my, yep. my future best friend Jessica Williams Shrinking. Just, Williams, yeah. Just uh, anyway. She's six feet tall, by the way. Yeah, she's huge. Yeah, Very she's tall. six feet tall. It makes me feel so inferior. <laughs> Uh, uh, and then, and then film wise, film wise, past, past lives had a great day. Like, I mean, as, as expected, uh, all of us strangers, American fiction, May, December passages, past lives. And we grow now, uh, were the six, that means there was a tie for the top category of best feature. Uh, you know, can I ask you about May, December? Sure. Uh, what do you, it's a weird animal to gauge in the season. Mm-hmm. Do you find that it's weird to, for you to gauge too of like where it lands? Like, like it, yeah, it, it seems like it seems like one of those that like ranges from like one to nine. <laughs> like in a weird way, I thought it would be more divisive. Mm. You know, I thought there'd be people who loved it and people who hated it, and I'm finding that most people really like it. I think it's being underestimated in the acting races. Like Natalie Portman should be in everyone's top five. Um, I know it's just a super super competitive year. But her and Julianne Moore and like, obviously, Charles Melton is on a run. That kid, man. Yeah. So uh, I really think those performances particularly are going to are going to like take it far. Um, I would love to see Todd Haynes nominated for Best Director. Because he's never been. Yeah. Which 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 you say to yourself and you say, wait, that doesn't seem right. And it's true. He has one nomination, right? And it's one nomination. Original screenplay Far From Heaven 21 years ago. That's crazy to me. That's criminal. And like and, Carol just sat there, like just not a picture nominee, not a director nominee. 
And yeah, that, that, that's, that's a tough pill to swallow. And American fiction, by the way, I mean, I'm glad it showed up here. MBR had a rough day. MBR didn't do American fiction, color purple or origin. Three black movies. Just saying. Very surprised they didn't go for color purple. Are we sure? Yeah, of course they've screened it. That movie. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely, yeah. They, they saw it. Yeah, wow. There was no movie that no one didn't see. Like we're not, and usually we have a year that was like, oh, one or two, because there's avatars and stuff like that. Yeah, everyone saw everything. Has everyone I mean, seen Boys in the Boat? Totally out of nowhere. That the I think it was last week we were talking about it when you mentioned it. The the screener appeared at my house, and it was like That's what I heard freak, they sent freak, out screeners. Freakiest thing! I couldn't believe that it's like there. I'm actually gonna watch it tonight because our ballots are due Friday. Oh, good for you for watching everything. I I wait till the last possible second. There you go. Well, Clayton, what do we got this week on the on the pod? Uh, two uh, troublemakers: America Ferrera, who stars in Barbie and Dumb Money, and Jack Black, who is the voice of Bowser and pages, wrote pages, a song pages. And, and wrote a song in Super Mario Brothers movie, and he s- makes up a song that includes my name in it. So listen up. Yeah. yeah. It's Listen great. up. It's gotta be your ringtone. It's 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 gonna be it's gonna people are gonna get upset because I'm gonna use it so much in my life now. I mean, I would. <laughs> uh, do, you, but, do you do you say Super Mario or Super Mario? What did I, I say? Mario, but I think I, I, I say Super, Super Mario. Wait, Super Mario Brothers. Super, yeah, I would say Mario. It's to me, Mario. I, I, I think I, I think I might double dip. I might double Dutch back and forth because sometimes I feel like Super Mario. Because yeah, I, I think I think I think Noah, my son, I think he says Mario. I think I say Mario to him, but in normal life, I would say Mario. Gotcha. <laughs> Interesting. You say tomato or tomato? No one says tomato. That's the. I mean, th- this also comes fresh. with the. It yeah. also comes with the whole argument about like. Dog, like I say, dog, like a new, like a New Yorker. Well, uh, and, and Emily's not here to uh, discuss elementary versus elementary. <laughs> uh, we'll, Does she say that? Oh, we'll. Oh we'll, no, we'll, we'll I will side, not we'll speak to her that. anymore. We, we'll side, we'll sidebar <laughs> on that. Uh, but yeah, enjoy all, right. all the conversations. We love you all. Great. We will see y'all next week. Bye-bye. Bye bye. After the break, we talk to Barbie and Dumb Money star America Ferreira. From Los Angeles, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. And we're back. It's the Variety Award Circuit Podcast, and I'm Michael Schneider. Directed by Greta Gerwig, Barbie follows the titular character, played by Margot Robbie, as she explores the real world and encounters Gloria, played by America Ferreira, a Mattel employee who gives life lessons to Barbie about a woman's place in the real world. Like, we have to always be extraordinary, but somehow we're always doing it wrong. Like you have to be thin, but not too thin. And you can never say you want to be thin. You have to say you want to be healthy, but also you have to be thin. You have to have money, but you can't ask for money because that's crass. You have to be a boss, but you can't be mean. You have to lead, but you can't squash other people's ideas. You're supposed to love being a mother, but don't talk about your kids all the damn time. You have to be a career woman, but also always be looking out for other people. 
You have to answer for men's bad behavior, which is insane, but if you point that out, you're accused of complaining. You're supposed to stay pretty for men, but not so pretty that you tempt them too much or that you threaten other women because you're supposed to be a part of the sisterhood, but always stand out and always be grateful. But never forget that the system is rigged, so find a way to acknowledge that, but also always be grateful. You have to never get old, never be rude, never show off, never be selfish, never fall down, never fail, never show fear, never get out of line. It's too hard. It's too contradictory. And nobody gives you a medal or says thank you. And it turns out, in fact, that not only are you doing everything wrong, but also everything is your fault. Meanwhile, Dumb Money tells the true story of a group of amateur investors from the Reddit page Wall Street Bets who banded together to put the squeeze of at least two hedge funds that had bet that GameStop shares would fall. In the Craig Gillespie film, America Ferrera plays Jenny, a single mother and nurse who bets on the wrong horse. Ferrera's rise to prominence began with the 2002 film Real Women Have Curves, which then led to her role in the groundbreaking TV series Ugly Betty, where she portrayed the endearing and relatable Betty Suarez. She became the first and still only Latina to win the Lead Comedy Actress Award at the Emmys in 2007. She's also the only one to be nominated in the category more than once. Variety's Clayton Davis recently spoke with Ferreira about Barbie and Dumb Money. She discusses her journey through Hollywood following Ugly Betty and what to expect from her upcoming directorial feature debut. They began by talking about how she was part of two major ensembles that came out within months of each other this year. It's totally insane. I mean, it's bonkers. I, you know, totally unexpected. I think at a certain point for me, I just stopped expecting that, you know, I was going to get that phone call, you know, from some fantastic Academy Award Mm -hmm. nominated auteur Mm -hmm. who said, I've got the perfect role for you Mm -hmm. and you're my gal, you know, like that I think was in a way just by default the dream that like I'd get to a place in my career where where all the, the cream of the crop chose me. You know, and and I think there is this sort of unspoken mission to to be the chosen one, um, and it's and it's a really um, powerless and 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 kind of defeating position to play for so long. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I I have been so blessed and fortunate to have incredible opportunities in my career, um, you know, and and yet I. I think the nature of of um, this business is to always like want more and go higher and yeah. you know seek higher and look for you know validation from more important sources or whatever yeah. you know what have you and um, uh, I think I got kind of um, uh, defeated having to be in that position and so I started to just invest in my own creativity in the things mm-hmm. that I loved as an actress, as a director, as a producer, developing and producing and um, adapting this beautiful book, I'm Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter, into a screenplay mm-hmm. with Linda Yvette Chavez to be the first feature film I'm directing. Mm-hmm. Um, and just finding so much joy in investing in in the things that I loved and and really had, you know, kind of I think done 
a lot of work to 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 put to rest that old idea of what's validating in this business. And of course, as soon as I did, (laughs) you know, Greta Gerwig calls me and I'm like, what? (laughs) That's not supposed to happen to me. Um, And and Greta called and, you know, I'm a fan of hers. I was a fan of hers at the time that she called. I'm a bigger fan now. Um, With, you know, she, she, she emails and it's like, I, you know, she called and was like, I wrote a Barbie script. Hear me out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, of course, I was just excited to read anything that she wrote, knowing that she and Margot were the brains behind this this endeavor made me so excited to see what it was. And then to read the script and see how delightfully weird and unexpected it mm-hmm. was. And and that she wrote this role and she wrote it as a Latina. Um, but not having to address that. But having lot, nothing to do with The diversity with... I look for in Hollywood yes. every day. Yes. It just was shocking. It, it was like, it. oh, she's Latina. Okay, what's the Latina angle? And there was none. And I it's was like, It's her husband what? tries to learn Spanish. <laughs> it's it there that her husband's trying to learn Spanish. And yeah. uh, which was just amazing. But, and that, and you know, and that Gloria was not just like, again, like a, a token Latina box to check in this Mm. script, but that in fact her emotional life and her perspective was a huge driving force of the Mm. of the film. It felt unreal. It really did feel um unbelievable and 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 so I didn't expect it um at all. And and uh but I did from the beginning know that wow this is special. This script is special. Greta is special. Margot as Barbie and her mind behind this as a producer is special. And I I said to um, – the first time I met Mark Ronson, he was on set. Uh, he was on in rehearsal watching the Barbies do the dance. Mm-hmm. And I was at rehearsal every day learning the dance only because I'm a nerd and mm-hmm. I did not have to learn the dances. Mm-hmm. I remember we were – he was watching the dance for the first time and – he had this like huge smile on his face, but also this anxiety. He's like, I have to, I have to go make my song better. And he's <laughs> like, this dancing is so good. And we started talking about the feeling of it and how special it all felt. And I remember saying to him, like, I kind of secretly feel like there's going to be a before Barbie and an after Barbie. Mm. And he looked at me kind of like, ah, simmer down, you know, like kind of yeah. like, I think it's going to be great. I think people are going to love it. But but kind of like I was being insane to think that it would be that much of an impact. And I don't it, know. Like, I kind of. It's not supposed to be good. I kind of think I, I, I'm right. I, I say it with the, <laughs> the most love in my heart. It wasn't supposed to be a good movie. It, it was bonkers. I mean, Greta sat exactly where you were here and said, like, we threw because we wrote it in the pandemic. We didn't think it would ever be movies again. No. So we were like, we'll go out with a bang right. in cinema. Right. And that's what it felt right. like. And and when I finished reading the script, what I felt, I mean, obviously, like, overwhelmed and blessed that, like, sh- this was the role she wanted me to come in and step yeah. into. And had she given me a choice to play any role in the movie, I would have said, that's my girl. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to be Gloria. Not president, because um, I totally kind of want. No, President Barbie. <laughs> I, 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 I kind of want America to be president. Uh, well, Issa, yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah. I'll yeah. always, I'll follow Issa yeah. president anyway. <laughs> um, um, what was I saying? Oh, that, I, I, obviously I felt really 
overwhelmed that she wanted me to be a part of it. But when I finished reading the script, I mean, I was laughing, crying. I kind of felt like I was a little bit high on mushrooms. Mm -hmm. I was like, that felt like a mushroom trip. Um, What I felt was so much gratitude as a as a woman in this world and as a woman in this industry that this was the version of the movie we were going to get. Like you said, I mean, think of how many versions of this movie would have just been fine or bad or just passable or could have made just as much money, but not in the smart, interesting way that, that, that Greta and Noah wrote the script and, and, and Greta's directorial vision for it. I mean, it's, it's it's once I don't know for me it feels like once in a lifetime to get yeah. to be a part of uh, something so ambitious something so um, uh, irreverent and 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 then to be given the opportunity to 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 really play a significant part having nothing to do with my Latinaness you know which is how I have largely been um, uh, labeled um, in 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 the business. Um, so yeah, it was totally unexpected. Uh, so much to unpack there because uh, as someone who writes a lot about diversity in Hollywood really has no problem shaming Hollywood for pigeonholing or lack of trying in, in some regards, uh, when it comes to diversity, which has become essentially the new F word in Hollywood, like Mm. everyone's tired of hearing about diversity. Uh But we're all talking about different things. Like uh, Oscar Isaac was on on this show and we talked about the diversity that we want to see. And he's like, you know, in the 90s, I saw Raul Julia play, uh, was in Death of a Salesman. I got mm. to see him on Broadway playing mm. that role. That That's diversity. And that's what I talk about. Like, yes, our Latino stories are important. There's so many uh, Latino historical figures we want to see. But Gloria gets to just be Latina. Mm. That doesn't have to address it. That doesn't have to, you know, it just it just becomes part of her. And people identify with that. And the fact that Greta understood that. Uh, and Because it, just one hair to the left. And she's talking about, like, you know, when she drug-muled one time, you know, growing up. But she doesn't. She's a mom. She's quirky. She's funny. Um, it, it, and essentially the the second lead of the movie because everything that happens is because Gloria plays with Barbie dolls. Right. You know? Right. And I, you know, I've, I've said to Greta so many times, like it's a revolution, mm-hmm. like for, for, for me, uh, you know, not only to get to play a role that, that um, is beyond the, the, the kind of stereotypes that I've played, but another thing is like seeing us get to be part of joy, like seeing us mm-hmm. get to be part of fantasy and fancifulness and see us in our awkwardness and our weirdness. And, 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 you know, that's not generally how we get to be portrayed. Mm-hmm. I think there is, um, there's, you know, a lot of value I think that is placed on on seeing trauma, right? Brown people's trauma, and and that and that if we kind of bleed for our audiences, we can 
garner compassion, you know, and maybe be seen as something to 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 pity or feel bad about or or feel for, feel empathy for. But also like I I just as a person want to see us in positions of joy. Yeah. And and that and that that is also like worthy and good enough, you know, that that we're worthy of being a part of something fanciful and wonderful and fun and um and and that part of it too was um again just so unexpected how this opportunity allowed me to step outside of so many of the different boxes I've had to exist inside of and at the same time was in a way very very similar to a lot of the themes that I've um that I have been a part of um, in my career. Uh, so I don't know. I, I, I really do credit Greta's, um, you know, uh, imagination and, and her own ability to transcend what, what is expected of, of a Latina role, of a Latina actress. And I, 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 I just really commend her. And I think that when people do it right, we really do need to commend them. We need to say, yes, like that's, that's the way to do it. That's the way to think about us as capable um, and worthy of being in any role. And then I got lucky enough to, you know, shortly after that, work with Craig in a very similar uh, way. When you, and again, like following you for so long, you were in Ugly Betty, uh, one of two, I'm sorry, one of three now, because Jenna Ortega this year, thank you very much. One of three Latinas ever to be nominated for lead actress comedy. Uh, you're the only one to be nominated multiple times, and you're the only winner still in that category. And following your trajectory, there, there's something that happens in our, in our community that it's unfair that we place all our hopes and dreams onto like the one Latino that Hollywood has decided to anoint for, you know, you know, our, our time. And I'm always worried about, I call it the bench and we have finite number of America Ferreras here in this industry. And thank God now I see Ariana Greenblatt have been like, okay, like the future, we're okay. Like we got, we got someone that's, that's come up, but like, you know, there's a thousand Spielberg and Scorsese's, mm. you know, and now you're jumping behind the camera. Um, have you found it? How do you feel about the like kind of the pressure that comes from our own community about like you know, represent for all of us, or, or like how the industry has pigeonholed you and how you've had to like fight against some of that? I mean, I love getting to represent my community, and and I have felt a deep desire to help, like you said, make that bench a lot deeper, you know, and it is incredibly frustrating how shallow that bench is. And, Mm -hmm. and I take no joy in knowing that I'm the only Latina to win an Emmy for a lead role. That Mm -hmm. doesn't make me feel proud. That makes me feel sad, you know, um, that it's been that long. And, and I know it's not because we're not talented enough. It's Mm -hmm. because the opportunities aren't there you know i think it was viola who said it you can't win awards for roles that don't exist you know um and and you know it's hard it's it's always each each idea always contains so many contradictions because 
you, we know that the awards are, you know, are not the end all be all of, of the great work and, and, and the value of the work. But at the same time, we are telling a story about what excellence is and who's worthy of being deemed excellent and talented. And it matters that we see people who are reflective of us in those spaces. It makes it possible for us. Mm. And so for me, and I know for so many others, my dear friend Eva Longoria and Rosario Dawson and Gina Rodriguez, like we all want to see more of us. I don't think any of us want to be anomalies. You know, we want to be a part of a community. We want to, and we don't want our identity to solely be fixed on one part of who we are. Like I'm a Latina and I'm so proud to be a Latina and I love my Latina community and I am so many other things too, you know? And, and so, you know, I think we are still, in kind of nascent stages of our fight for visibility in this industry. And and I just keep thinking of like, what is ahead? How much more work? How much more creativity? How much more boldness? How many more stories there are to be told when we manage to, to just break out of these very rudimentary um, stages of fighting for our existence, telling the most basic versions of our stories, having to be model citizens and model, you know, representatives Mm -hmm. instead of just getting to be artists. Like not every filmmaker who goes to make a film is thinking about, okay, I have to pick the best people for the role. And if I don't pick people in this category, then I'm failing my community. Mm -hmm. You know, they, and, and that's not to say that those things are mutually exclusive. I think uh, excellence and, diversity go hand in hand but but um you know we we are definitely limited by um by the fact that we're doing two things at once we're trying to be great artists and tell great stories and we're trying feel the rightfully feeling the responsibility to represent and create opportunity for our community and that's um you know it, it is extra work and that's okay because that's our work and this is the time we're in and we show up for this time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I'd be lying if I didn't say it, it, it that, that it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a, another job that we carry along with the role of just being great artists, yeah. you know? I mean, I, I, I feel that as a journal, like, you know, I'm, I'm believe, I think at the time, and I think still, probably today i'm the first like person of color to hold like this position like at any publication right and you know you walk in there and everyone's like okay so hollywood's gonna end racism now right like, yeah. you're gonna call it all out and you're like i'm like one person i'm you know like i want to do work but also i don't just write about latino and uh i'm half Puerto Rican, half black so i don't write about just those issues um you know i we all got to be in it together. AAPI mm. community needs our help. Indigenous mm. people, like it, it goes hand in hand. Um, but that ties into my next question, the speech in Barbie mm. uh, that I told you, unfortunately or fortunate, but get ready. It's going to be the next, uh, I think all admissions counselors mm. in um, colleges are going to be mad at you. It's going to be <laughs> the one that, 
uh, aspiring actresses are going to use <laughs> for quite some time. Uh, I and, met like an, an like an eleven year old girl the other day who's like, I just auditioned with your speech, and I was like. <laughs> I don't know if that's age appropriate content, <laughs> but like, but also like says something that like an eleven year old mm-hmm. is like, that's my speech. You know, it does you know say something. Greta said that you also contributed to the creation of that speech, it's especially in the line um, that. Uh, sorry, I want to make sure I say it right. It's the line which she says, "Always be grateful. always be grateful." Yeah, that was like. She think that it was something about that, and Greta said she kept saying like that you said, it, and then she kept saying it to herself. Can you talk about just the yeah. creation of that? Yeah, um, I mean the 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 speech you see is largely the words on the page that I read the first time mm-hmm. I read the script. That those are the words I said. Um, we changed and tweaked a word here or there. Um, and that line "always be grateful" came out of a conversation with me and Greta. Um, and you know, we spent, we spent months talking about it and sharing poetry and TV episodes Mm -hmm. and articles and, and she'd have me watch movies, you know, Mm -hmm. everything and anything that felt like it contained the essence of Gloria's journey and that speech. Mm -hmm. And, um, so we spent, and we never really rehearsed the words, you know, but, um, but that line, always be grateful. It, I think it speaks to a lot of what, what holds us back, you know. I think when we're not historically meant to be in a room and a space, it's very, very difficult to show up in those spaces as your whole full self, because you are taught to just be grateful you're in the room. And when you're coming from a position of gratitude and of a debt that you owe whoever opened that door for you and mm-hmm. let you in, you know, there's this unspoken reminder of like that you're in here somehow as a favor, not because you earned your spot. Thanks. For you know, the, and if we event. open the door and let you in, mm-hmm. we can open the door and let you out. And, and, and so don't ever forget your place. I feel like that's what that line means to me. Um, and, and obviously there's power, you know, nothing happens overnight and, and nothing is ever perfect. And it matters that we take the first step, which is getting in the room, but getting in the room is, is just, I mean, that's just the first thing that needs to happen for anything to change, it 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 is not the change, right? It is it is not the um, the the end of the work. It's it's the very very beginning of it. And and my experience over my life in my career and and beyond is that what we are able to accomplish, what we're able to contribute, what we're able to give of ourselves, has everything to do with our sense of value and our sense of worth. And we have to believe that we belong in the rooms we're in. And that's a very, very hard thing to do when for thousands and thousands of years, you've never been in that room. 
people like you have never been in that room, you know? And that's not to say that I don't love and feel inspired and deeply supported by so many people who are different from me. I absolutely do. But I think that the position of staying grateful and staying in gratitude is, is one that keeps us in our place. And so as women, as people of color, as, as you know, people who have been, you know, erased and, and made to feel invisible, that is, that is a, a trauma that we have to find yeah. a way to, 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 to heal so that we can show up in these spaces, not, not feeling we're better than everyone or leading with our anger and our resentment because that often doesn't help anything but it's but it's to show up and and be on equal footing and and look uh, part of that is an inside job and a lot of that is a systemic job and there's a lot in the system that helps perpetuate the feeling of stay in your place mm -hmm. Everything from the way people are compensated to the way people are supported to the way people are acknowledged. Like, you know, there are real barriers in this system to feeling like you belong here. Even if you're in the room, even if you're in the gorgeous dress, even if you're nominated, even, you know, there are still ways, and not just in our industry, in every industry. And so, so um, you know, not to write a freaking dissertation yeah. on what it means to be grateful because, because of course, I am incredibly grateful uh, for my career and my life. But, but I think um, when I come to do my work, I can't be in a position of gratitude. I have to be in a position of knowing what I bring to the table and the value that I have created in my life and in my work. Mm. You're, you're getting behind it. You're getting in a chair. Yeah. You're getting in a chair and it's going to be, I'm so excited for you. What, how excited, nervous, what's been the journey to get behind the chair, to mm -hmm. sit, to sit in that chair. And what can you tell us about the project? Yeah, totally. And then can I just say, we will talk about dumb money, right? Yeah. yeah, I wanna, oh, yeah. I wanna, We're going to, I want to give dumb money love too. Um, but, uh, and you don't have to include me <laughs> saying that. Um, yeah, my God. Um, I started directing when I was on Superstore. Um, um, and I was watching – well, I'll, I'll, I'll rewind, yeah. which is that, that – uh, the first thing I'm thinking of is that when I was in eighth grade, <laughs> we had uh, – I went to – went to, uh, I went to public schools in the San Fernando Valley yeah. and I was a drama kid from seventh grade on. And yeah. from then on, you get to participate in these, um, these drama festivals where literally you like student cut, student direct, student, you know, yeah. lead these uh, scenes that, that are often so beyond you, yeah. like all in the timing or, you know, one, one of the festivals is a Shakespeare festival. So you have like seventh graders trying to, you know, edit and direct Shakespeare. It's, it's amazing. It was an amazing experience. Um, and the first time I directed, I was in eighth grade and I directed an all female 10 minute, um, version of Othello. <laughs> And when I say 10-minute version, it's like we tried to do the whole play of Othello in 10, in 10 minutes. minutes. 
and I directed like three of my best friends and I was Othello. Um, and, and I, and I remember being like, I love this. Mm -hmm. And then I largely forgot about it. And then, um, Cut to many, many years later, I live in New York City and in New York City, and I think now in L.A., we do these 24-hour plays that are so awesome. Mm -hmm. It's like pure fun. You show up at night. You meet everybody. Everyone introduces themselves. The actors go home. The writers write all night. Then the directors and actors show up. You've been cast, and then you rehearse, and you get your props, and then the curtain goes up, and it's like all the excitement mm -hmm. And thrill of being like a drama geek in 24 hours. Yeah. And I and one year they asked me to direct it and I was terrified. And then it was like so much fun. And I remember one of my agents at the time, now she's just my incredible mentor, Christy Habegger, asked me, um, what what is your favorite day of work in the last five years? Mm. And I was like, oh my God, that's such a good question. And I thought back and I said, oh, when I was directing the 24-hour plays. And she was like, okay, well, think about that, right? And, and I was on Superstore and I was so nervous to ask to direct. And, I, and again, my dear friend Eva Longoria was out there directing episodes of so many shows. Amy Poehler directing features. And my friend Amber Tamblyn directed this beautiful feature film. And just seeing women in my life who I love dearly, like, and who started out as actresses and continue to be actresses, taking that leap and doing it so beautifully. And I found so much courage um, from them. And so, like, I was shaking, but I asked to direct. And it's insane. I'm like, I've made a 100 <laughs> hours of television. Like, what, television. A, what am I waiting yes. for, right? Like, yeah. I, you know, I'd see people, like, young people showing up, shadowing directors, and then, like, getting an episode to direct six months later. I'm like, I've been doing this my, like, essentially my whole life. Like, what am I waiting for, yeah. right? And also realizing, like, I have the access, I have the opportunity, I have experience. Like, if I can't take the leap, like, how can we expect anyone else to yeah. feel the courage, you right? Believe in yourself. Yeah. You and so it. I asked, and, and Justin Spitzer, the showrunner, like, immediately, like, in five minutes, wrote back and was like, let's do it. Like, yes. And I just had the most amazing time. And so I kept directing episodes of Superstore. And then I and then I directed episodes of Hentified, which was on Netflix that I executive produced. Um, and, and, it, and it was so just fulfilling mm -hmm. and fun. And like the big dirty secret that like, I don't know, I think directing is the best job on the set, you know. Um, and I just, it was just joyful. So I've been doing it sheerly out of, out of the the desire to do something that I love to do mm -hmm. and that I'm very good at doing. Um, and and then this um, opportunity to to direct I'm Not Your Perfect Mex Mexican Daughter came along and it was adapted from the amazing book by Erica L. Sanchez to the screenplay by Linda Yvette Chavez. And Linda was one of the creators of Hentified and – Excuse me. <clears throat> and I just adore her. She's incredibly talented. And so we're so we're making it. And I'm <laughs> really just couldn't be more thrilled and I'm a little scared mm. and you know, but do you, it's do you, can you share when you start shooting? Do you know when? No, we no. don't know exactly, but we're um we're in like 
script edits right now okay. and ho- hoping uh, to to be in production this later this year. Oh, I'm sorry, later 2024. Yeah, yeah. This year is yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's in the same Yeah. Um, I, I thank you for saying all that because I I. You know, and no, and no shades any you know actors turned directors that, but I, we have so many like Kevin Costner's, uh, Clint Eastwood's, Ben Affleck's. They do it, and like listen, they make great movies. Good for them. But yeah, like the I've been waiting. You and Eva this year, like Eva this year, like I when I, Flaming Hot, like I loved so much. She and killed I, it. And I and I told her I was like, I wouldn't. I would have never. I would have never, never thunk. Like it just, it didn't like compute. And then when I heard that you were going to direct your movie, I said, like, wait, why don't we have more actress turned director Latinas, especially like going into it. Oh my and gosh. I, I'm just, I'm just very excited for you. And I hope you break all the news about everything that's happening Thank with us you. When, when it comes. <laughs> the uh, Latina director numbers are, are god awful. Yeah. It's like we have a problem in Hollywood, but we're working at it and we're going to get there. So I, I have two more big uh, questions and then uh, – I could talk I, to you I, forever. I, I'd, I'd hang out with you forever. Um, <laughs> Let's do it. Go back to Dumb Money for a sec. Um, something in common, uh, Craig Gillespie, who I love so much. My favorite film of 2017 is I, Tanya. Oh, gosh. Starring such a good movie. and produced by Margot, Margot Robbie. Robbie. Yeah. So uh, there's something in the in the water like that. You, you're, you're obviously in the Margot circle now. But Dumb Money uh, is so great. And a lot of it is because, again, you. And surprisingly, Pete Davidson. Oh, my gosh. He's so good. N- like, again, no business being as good as he is in that movie. He's so good. Breaks your heart into Pete. When he is crying in that oh scene, it, it is like well, it's heartfelt. Know, he brought it. Yeah, he, he's he great. And held his own with, like, you know, fantastic seasoned actors. But, but it's interesting to see your role in Dumb Money and to see what you brought to it, especially to that real-life character who in the movie, as the movie presents it, is kind of the only person that loses, mm. like in the in in what happened, and and I don't want to ruin it for anyone who hasn't seen it yet. Obviously, please take your time and and go watch it. But did you? How did you identify and follow finding that character, which is obviously very different from Gloria? Yes, yes. So, Dumbney, um that role is based somewhat on they're all based all the retail uh investors are based on real characters that yeah. were in the book um and 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 the nurse role um it was really compelling to me a lot of these elements were at the end of the day taken out but the the character herself was she was a single mother making ends meet she was a nurse mm-hmm. but uh she uh, she also like um Voted for Trump twice in the mm. midst of the pandemic while being a nurse in a medical institution, mm. uh, and and I was really fascinated with that character. You know, we tend to think, oh, single mother, struggling woman, she's a nurse. <laughs> like, like uh, this, this must be her politics, or this must be how she feels about the world. And I was so fascinated by by her um, uh, commitment to to really the culture of what happened around yeah. GameStop. Um, was she Latina? No, no she was a, a white no, woman. Okay, no. And and I know that the other actresses, they were 
looking at for that role were 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 white women too. Mm. And that again, like another moment in my career of like, mm. oh my gosh, I'm being considered for a role that wasn't just written as a Latina. Yeah. And and that was a shock. Yeah. And Greeks and Italians and, are tan sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> and that was you know, I it shouldn't be so shocking, yeah. but it was. Um uh so uh, that's part of what really fascinated me about that character was like our our assumptions of what um, uh, a working class struggling woman mother um, feels and believes in the world mm. and 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 what she's looking for and what I found fascinating about the whole um, the whole the whole situation of of the GameStop Wall Street uh, circumstance was that. I felt that there was a real cultural movement that was happening, which was people wanting to be a part of something that helped them feel seen, which I think we've seen happen so much in our country in the last decade. Um, And not understanding how people could attach to things that feel, you know, crazy to us. But, like, in that moment, wanting to understand, instead of dismissing people as, like, oh, well, they must be idiots or they must be so ignorant or they're so uneducated or they just don't know enough. Like, really having a curiosity about what is it that people are actually looking for, mm-hmm. right? Because everyone's like, oh, well, she's a single mom. So what she wants are is to see a single mom. It's yeah. like, no, she's actually looking for a sense of empowerment in her own life uh-huh. where, where she has no power. And so this this really un, unexpected opportunity pops up for her to feel, uh, you know, like irreverent to all of the things she's supposed to be and all the things that she's supposed to like and care about. And and at the end of the day, it is devastating that she she doesn't she's not one of the ones who comes out making money. Yeah. But I genuinely feel like for that character, it wasn't about the money. It really wasn't. She was being driven by a sense of I'm in it with this group of people for an idea and I'm in it all the way through to the end. And that like, that was her reward was the sense of power and belonging to an idea and not so much. I'm going to come out. Of course you would have probably really liked to come yeah, out yeah, yeah. A, a lot richer. Um, I've gotten a lot of texts of people being like, Oh, so devastating. Yeah. Well, you know, not to, sorry, spoiler yeah. alert. Yeah. But I mean, it, but does it, that make sense? Like it, it, that's it makes what perfect was sense. compelling to me. Yeah, about I mean, her. it's fascinating that you, okay. I didn't know that about her and that, actually brings i mean big shout out to lauren blum and rebecca they did such an amazing job and i loved working with craig and i felt the same way you did when i saw i tanya i feel like i was 10 minutes into that and i was like who directed this he's dangerous because i everything (laughs) makes me want to turn this off and Mm -hmm. look away Mm because it's not thing they're not things i would usually want to watch but he's making me want to watch something that's hard to, to look at um, and he's just funny and he has such a, a lightness and we didn't get to work too much together. Um, it was like six days, which was about how much everybody got yeah, on that yeah, yeah. movie. We were all in like mini short films, yeah. but I loved working with Craig mm-hmm. and, and I, you know, in my short experience with him, I feel like he really loves and, and respects actors and, and it was a really fun, um, 
it was a fun experience. Dude hasn't missed yet. He's great. Um, my last question to you is, uh, I think closing us out here at the end of Barbie, your husband says, see, sip with, yeah. which is the most adorable thing and funny thing <laughs> that happens. And there is this sense of, I say this in, in most respectful way. I think Hollywood, I think some people thought that you were done with Hollywood or that Hollywood was done with you. Mm. And then came this year and was like, for some people, this was a reminder that she hasn't left. She'd been here the whole time and she's got some stuff to do. So that it's interesting now that you're about to jump behind the camera. Two movies this year. Is there an ugly Betty reboot? By the way, I was, was I mean it to ask like that's got to be like I think it's a reboot and everything and that come on. I think it's a dream, but I I I feel like I mean I would do it in a heartbeat. I'm obsessed on, with my ugly <laughs> Betty family. Um, I would do it in a heartbeat, but I think that there's like you know rights issues or something. Okay. I don't know. Maybe maybe it'll all work okay. itself out. That wasn't even the final question, but that came to me. I was like, wait, I want an ugly Betty. Uh, like, listen, we're redoing stuff and coming back. Ugly Betty's one. But um, when you look now at this, at your life now, it's always hard to answer, but there's joy that you're experiencing right now. Mm. Got to do a movie with your husband. You have this great life in New York. You're very politically active and motivated and you're making a difference, you know, and, and you never want that to go to your head, but I'm telling you that you are making a difference. Cause I think there's a lot of little boys and girls and people that think that they can do this. Cause they will see someone like you doing it. How does that make you feel? Thank you for saying that. Um, yeah, it makes me feel good. And and also, like, as you talk about, you know, the totality of things, like, I am a person as, you know, flawed and as challenged personally and, and you know, externally as anyone else. And for me, I, I am so proud of myself. And they're not for any of the reasons that you'll ever see on screen. And they're not for any of the reasons that you'll think from the outside. I'm proud of myself that I have um, shown up to, 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 to grow and to, um, and to really find a sense of inner worth and validation and that is that is not anything that comes to you from the outside. You have to show up for that work. Um, and I think artists in particular have to um, do that deep work on the inside so that your work is not just a regurgitation of what you've been given by the culture, but so that you are removing your ego enough so that what is unique and bold and scary about you can come through. You can get out of the way. Because um, the easiest thing to do is to do what you've seen and to and to um, copy and hit a mark and uh, try to try to fit yourself to a mold uh, 
Um, that's the sort of default in our culture, but that too comes at a cost, you know? And, and I think there's a real reason why people burn out in this industry and, and, um, some of, some of us are lucky enough to find the resources and the support to fortify ourselves, to keep going, you know? And so I'm proud of myself. I'm proud that, that I've, of what I've, I've, what what I've built in my life and in my career um, because I couldn't have done it without doing the deep inside personal painful at times work but now I do get to feel more joy you know the 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 reward is that regardless of what's happening whether you have a million up a billion and a half dollar movie being celebrated around the world mm-hmm. or whether I'm in my corner, with a writer I love prepping to tell a story that I love, that there's joy and meaning and validation yeah. and that my sense of worth and, and what I have to give doesn't, doesn't um, falter, you know. Yeah. And, um, and so – and that's what I want people to see, you know, that, that uh, especially young people who, who, you know, look up and see something that – looks a certain way from the outside. And we all are victim to that. We all project and think it's perfect for everyone else, you know? Um, but to know that, like, it, it, it comes from, from you really knowing yourself, and there's no, there's no shortcut to that. That's America Ferreira, star of Barbie and Dumb Money. The Super Mario Brothers movie opened in theaters on April 5 and generated a towering $204 million in its first five days of release, notching the biggest opening weekend of the year at that point and the second biggest debut ever for an animated movie. Thanks to repeat business from family audiences, as well as brand recognition and nostalgia for the popular Nintendo game, Mario held the number one spot for four consecutive weeks. Directed by Aaron Horvath and Michael Jelenic, the movie, featuring the voices of Chris Pratt, Anya Taylor-Joy, and Jack Black, follows the Brooklyn-based plumbers known as Mario and Luigi, who are sucked into the mystical Mushroom Kingdom. Along with Princess Peach, they prepare to stop the mighty Bowser from total domination. Variety's Clayton Davis spoke to Jack Black about voicing Bowser in the animated hit and penning the original song Peaches, which is in the thick of the Oscar race. He also talks about waiting for Universal Pictures and Illumination to announce a sequel, which he is eager to do. They began by discussing the origins of the song. It was not the difficult process that you're imagining, but it was also not easy as as falling off a log. It did not just happen organically where I just started singing in the recording booth. I wish I could take all of the credit like that. Mm -hmm. I had done a little bit of singing, just like heavy metal screams and stuff, but... um, uh, Pretty far into the process, uh, I'd say about three quarters of the way through, I think we'd already been working on it for over a year and a half or something, they floated the idea. They were like, hey, um, we were thinking maybe it would be funny if uh, if Bowser sang a love song, like a tender love song. I was like, oh, I don't know. Would you be cool with that, Jack? And I was like, I don't like to, to mix my my music and my movies unless that's what we start off. If you had told me at the very beginning, mm-hmm. we, want, we want Bowser to sing some songs, I would have like... Uh, needed to work out what that music was because I'm real protective of yeah. my, you know, tenacious D side of my career. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I don't, I don't think I want to jump in and just start singing right now. And they were like, 
well, can we just send you what we've got so far? And I was like, all right, send yeah. it over. And they sent it over. And uh, it was just like a 30-second little nugget of mm-hmm. an idea of a song. And I had to admit that it was really funny. The idea of this fire-breathing monster singing this sort of mm-hmm. tender, uh, vulnerable love song. And uh, and they had the, the, the kernel of, of it already there, even the hook, you know, the... Peaches, 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 peaches. And I was like, oh, God, I got to do this. So I fleshed it out. You know, I, I added some lyrics and melody and mm. and made it into like a song. And, and I said, I would do this if you guys are into this. And uh, they they loved it. And by God, they put it in the film. I couldn't believe they did because it was like, I don't know. There was something crazy about how emotional it was. Like, yeah. Bowser's almost crying with passion and love. I was like, they're never going to use this. Yeah. And then they used it. They loved how it turned out and how it fit into the movie. When I was watching it, uh, and I know that you're a fan of uh, longer songs, I was witnessing you listening to Xanadu. And this is up there with Bohemian Rhapsody, obviously, now, uh, and the greatest rock uh, songs of all time, you know. But I was bummed how short the song is in the movie. Is there a Mario cut that is. And I'm sure there's a longer version of the song that lived or lives somewhere. Yeah. If you buy the uh, the soundtrack, you'll get the full song. It's longer than what they did and the, used in the movie. And, uh, you know, there's a there's a music video out there that's <laughs> that's uh, longer than what they used in the movie. But there's also they asked if I would do like a dance remix of the song. And <laughs> I did. And that'll be coming out. Any minute now, you'll be able to catch that on the YouTube. I'm sure. <laughs> um, when you, we I, I, and you, you alluded to this before, you do keep your tenacious D and Jack Black actorness really separate. Uh, separation of church and state. Uh, this is rare opportunities that we get to see a little bit of it merged or they're flirting with each other. Like, you know, there's just chemistry. They might start dating soon. You know, we, we don't know what is like the road of that process to get tenacious D Jack black in the same room with Jack black thespian. Well, you know, we did a tenacious D movie and, mm-hmm. uh, we were very proud of it. It was the only movie I've ever written. And, um, it was like my baby. And, um, now it's got like cult classic status yep. and we we play concerts all around the world and people have the whole album memorized and it's really but at the time that it came out it was a bomb nobody went to see it and we were really discouraged it almost killed the band but we survived <laughs> and we staged our huge comeback but um yeah we've always got a little theatricality in our music because uh that's the world we came from we we're both yeah big into theater uh and uh, musical theater especially for me and and uh, we always look for for bits of lazi and comedy and and uh, sketches in our live show uh right now we're, we're on tour uh and it's we called it the spicy meatball tour mm. where we've got pyro for the first time and our pyro guy is like the worst pyro expert in the world mm-hmm. And the pyro only happens at the worst possible times. He's like, like, he's like Danny in McBride. between songs, yes. And we're like, dude, you are killing us. Please do Physi- the pyro at the obvious times. Yeah. yeah. No, we don't get burned. Although that would be a funny gag if 
Someone came running across <laughs> engulfed in flames. That would be a little expensive. I have to get my stuntman <laughs> on that. But, um, yeah, I guess, you know, from School of Rock to High Fidelity and, and even Nacho Libre, I've always got like a little bit of music in there. But those are things that I like to plan out from the beginning. If yeah. I'm going to sing in a movie, I like to make that a priority. Like, it's yeah. got to be a banger. It's got to slap. Yeah. And uh, I, I guess I, I'm always curious to to hear the origins of of a cinephile uh, like yourself. Because I know you love movies, you love music, you love movies, you love art. But do you remember the movie that kind of did it for you as a kid that you were like, "Nah, I'm gonna go do this for a living." Kind of recall that experience. Movie I mean, that when made I was you fall a kid, uh, I remember going to the movie theater uh, real young. My sister took me to see Rocky Horror Picture Show. That'll do now, it. talk about a rockin' movie. There were some amazing musical jams in there. And that's when I first saw uh, Meatloaf. And uh, mm-hmm. he sang an incredible song in there. And then, you know, 30 years later, I asked him if he would play my father in the Tenacious D movie. Mm-hmm. And he sang a song in our movie. Um, another movie that really blew my mind when I was a kid was uh, The Breakfast Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, Judd that, Hirsch was harsh. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, that was a seminal moment for me. Yeah. What else was kick-ass? You know what I loved? The post-apocalyptic movies. That's my jam. I love that genre. I loved Road Warrior. No songs in there, but yeah. it's a it's a banger of a movie. Uh, and what's another great one? Uh, Terminator. Mm. Once again, no songs in there, but dunk dunk. Da, da, yeah. It's got a heavy metal vibe. Terminator 2, first movie I ever saw in the movie theater. Yeah. My mom I, shouldn't have taken me. <laughs> but most influential actor, probably Jack Nicholson. You ever check out The Shining? Yeah. Showed my daughter The Shining over the pandemic, and I disowned her because she <laughs> wasn't uh, into it. <laughs> yeah, no. My kids don't want to watch anything that I like either yeah, now. Yeah, it, it's, it's been really hard because you, you, she's 12 now. So at the time, she was like – she was nine. And she's into horror movies. She loves like, – she loves Scream. And my, my parents, I don't know if yours was like this, just didn't pay attention to MPA ratings. Yeah. They were just like, just watch whatever you want. So I've been like thinking of good moments to it. So then she was like really – she she discovered Scream, loves the Scream franchise, showed her Nightmare on Elm Street, loves Nightmare on Elm Street, loves Halloween. I was like, let me show you The Shining. And she and she was like, this is long. Boring, yeah. <laughs> it boring. moves slow yeah. for kids. And I was like, well, I was like, well mm, it was a good will that you were in. I guess we'll just write you out of that. We come from a different time where patience was a virtue. Yeah. Uh, going back to the peaches now um, – I want the the Jack Black cut of like what's the is there a lyric that you want it lyrics that you wanted to include that like were really in it and then they were like we can't really do that. No, there no. was no there's no uh, rated R version if that's where you're going. <laughs> um, no, I got that song ended up being exactly how I wanted it. Um, yeah, but maybe I could I could make up a, a fake. Uh, mm-hmm. Version for you right now. I mean, you got it like down the fly. Clayton, you're so cool. Your microphones are on a stool. I got to work on that. Oh, stool. That uh, does it. Yeah. yeah, it works though. <laughs> but what's in tune though? Randy Jackson, like, wasn't pitchy, dog. No, it was good. Yeah, it wasn't pitchy, dog. Uh, I have to give you uh, a little bit of a fun fact because uh, you're sitting here with your awards editor, so we have to. 
talk about it. You're in the Oscar race this year. Yeah. Yeah. But what I love so much about that is something I notice. Three really big comedians that I have loved all my life, and you're one of these three, are in the Oscar race as well, but not in acting categories. Mm. So you in song, Mm -hmm. Seth Rogen in animated feature, and Will Ferrell as a producer for May-December. Wow. And the three of you could be there. Wow, wouldn't that be cool? Like, and and I am one that loves comedy, and I get, I you know, get very mad at uh, Academy voters in the industry that we belittle the the profession because <laughs> it's harder to do comedy than it is drama. Yeah, how uh, come we don't have our own category? Do you need your own category? I think I think it's fine that you know we get a Sasha Baron Cohen and Borat yeah. standing next to Leonardo DiCaprio and Blood Diamond. Like, Look, I love my life. I don't need awards on top of it. Yeah. Um, but it'd be nice. You yeah. have a Grammy. You're not going to hear me squeaky wheeling about the <laughs> categories. I, mean, I know I just did, but yeah. never again. Um, but what, what does it feel like to kind of be in that discussion to see your fellow comedy brethren? Uh, I love it. I mean, uh, it's always been exciting. There, there's that one Oscars where me and Will Ferrell uh, did a little uh, a musical comedy number. The Catherine Zeta Jones, you're snoring. Exciting, dude. I love it because not only are you being watched by a billion people, like all your heroes are in the audience watching you. So pressure cooker, but also super excitement. You know, I it's love one of my favorite Oscar it. moments of all time was you and Will yeah. singing the 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 song that plays after your speeches run on too long. Yeah, it was it was incredible. Uh, looking at Super Mario Brothers again, and if you're like me again, a gamer, you know this fact that in the video game Super Mario Brothers Two, it's better than Super Mario Brothers One. Yeah, because Peach could fly. Yeah, it got real. Uh, so what's the chatter on Super Mario Brothers 2? Dude, it has been radio silence. The only chatter has been coming from me, and I don't even know if I'm allowed to be chattering. <laughs> it's not my business to chatter. But I am so chomping on the bit to get back to, to business because, uh, you know, I had a blast. And uh, Super Mario had been a very, very good to me. So, yeah, I'm like you, man, just waiting and seeing. Third highest grossing film of the year. Did it by itself, by the way. Didn't need the Barbenheimer. You didn't need to join forces on another no. movie. You did it all, all on your own. Super, Mar- <laughs> Super Mario. Wait a second. You think we would have done better if we had a Heimer? Sure. I mean, I mean, what do you, what do you, what, what could you, Super Mario Heimer? Could have done with Air. Could have Super Mario <laughs> Brothers Air. Could have thought of something fun. It was around uh, that time. Yeah. Uh, no, it was definitely a feather in my cap. I was very, very proud of how we did. I mean, I knew it was going to be a hit. Did you? I, I, well, because I watched a screening of it, and I was like, okay. We got it. <laughs> we got a hit on our hands, because I'm smiling all the way through this thing. Um, but I didn't know. You never know it's going to be, you know, a monster hit. Yeah. The zeitgeist. The zeitgeist. My my son, my son has autism. He's eight years old. So we just, we this year, took him to his very first movie. Yeah. Super Mario Brothers. Oh, nice. And it was the most awesome thing that ever happened. Like I, I got to watch him watch it. He was super because he's playing video games now. He's being a kid now. Uh and he was like, you know, he's like Mario. He th- thinks Bowser's funny. Thought Peach's song was hilarious. 
he tried to sing it afterward. And I said, we're not there yet, buddy, for you to, you know, really be jumping into public uh, displays of theater. But it, it, it made me feel good that and I know you're a big fan of the genre. Uh, I'm sorry, not the genre. It's medium animation. I talk a lot about this, um, especially you tied to Kung Fu Panda. Do you feel a love and affinity and special respect for animation and what it can do? And not just for kids, it can do it for adults as well. Absolutely. I mean, I was raised on cartoons too, you know. Saturday Back in morning. My day, <laughs> you woke up at six in the morning every Saturday morning because that's when the cartoons happened. Mm-hmm. Now there's 24 hours cartoons every which way but loose. Yeah. But um, it's always been, you know, a fascination of mine. And, and I really wanted to, to be an animator when I was a kid. Yeah. I'd make tons of flip books. Every every school book that I had would turn into like a little cartoon, um, and uh, my wife is an animator, and uh, yeah, it's in it's in my family, and um, yeah, the Disney cartoons from when I was a kid uh, still blow me away. Yeah, uh, what's that one with all the classical music? Fantasia. Fantasia. Ooh, you know, not a Fantasia fan. No. Like, well, I, well, I, I think I saw it too young, and I, yeah. I just, I found it boring at the time. Oh wait, and, you and, sound like your daughter. I know, right? Shining. I know. I know. I was, Fantasia, I, 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 you're shining. But then, but then I watched it later, and then I was like, oh, I respect this. Yeah. But then I was just like, I, but I think the, I, I was also a part of that family that they showed me Return of the Jedi first. Yeah. So, and they showed showed me everything backwards. So when I got to Empire. I was like, I like, why is everyone like right. surprised about? That? I was like, we know that this is his dad, but it's because they showed it to me in the wrong direction. Oh no! Yeah, so but I'll tell you what, what that that Fantasia comes in like four different sections. Mm-hmm. Did you make it to the night on Bald Mountain where the demon was like had fiery mm-hmm. demons mm-hmm. dancing on his hand? No. Oh, dude, you didn't uh, even make it to the best part uh, of Fantasia. Okay. Uh, Big inspiration from Bowser in there. Check out the demon on Bald Mountain. That's the Super Mario Brothers movie star, Jack Black. And that's it for this edition of Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Zach Levin edited this episode, and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest awards predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Tanke, Janelle Riley, and Clayton Davis, I'm Michael Schneider, and we'll see you on the circuit.